I love this line. Um, Let's allow the word of God to do the work of God in us. Let's allow the word of God to do the work of God. So I want you to open up your Bibles this final morning that we're together to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, beginning at verse 35. It's a familiar story for some. It's about a Jesus in the storm. And of course, certainly applicable. Storms are real, aren't they? Physical storms are real. I mean, we've got earthquakes, we've got fires, we've got Hurricane, we got Harvey, Irma. I mean, you open open the newspaper or turn on the news or on your screen, and, and it feels like the last several months has just been storm after storm after storm. And uh, this in Mark chapter 4 is the story of a storm. And so storms aren't new. I want to do something a little different this morning before I read this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push you a little bit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you. I was on this sailboat with these eight pastors. You know what every pastor, you may not know this, but you know what every pastor hears at one time or another, uh, and probably more often than once? I'm not from somebody in their church. They leave the church, and what's the number one excuse? People leave churches today. I'm not being fed. Not being fed. I heard a paradigm that, that really made sense to me, and I say it to our people all the time, and, and, and I think when I say it, the guy, the gal that's sitting in the pew, I mean, I don't know if they come back, but I really believe it's true, and here it is. Little babies need to be fed. Teenagers know how to feed themselves, and adults know how to feed others. Now, you apply that spiritually. If you're going, I'm not being fed, this is what it says about you. You're still a spiritual infant. You are still a spiritual infant. I want you to learn how to feed yourself. I don't need somebody to feed me. I know how to open up God's word, and I know how to allow it to nourish my soul. I want, and I hope you want, to get to a place in your life where you go, wow, I can hear any message, and I can allow my soul to be nourished. But it doesn't end there. After you learn to feed yourself, you need to keep growing to the point where now you are feeding others. You're getting together with guys and you feel competent and confident to open up the word and to read it and to hear God speak to you and to be able to connect the dots, right? Wouldn't you like to be able to do that? It's such a bummer being a leader in a church. And, and, and if you're hearing, uh, so I have a guy who was, I was on the sailboat and uh, He's actually, we went to seminary together. I would consider him a mentor, even though he's a colleague. This guy is deep. This guy is the real deal. And he came on the sailboat completely beat up by his church. He just had a review. He said first time in his life, over 30 years of ministry, he had an unfavorable review. He's in a new church. He's only been there a year and a half. Number one, what, what, what is it? Well, we're hearing from people. From who? Anonymously. We're hearing from people. People aren't being fed. It just grieves, grieves, grieves my heart as a pastor. And to be around this guy, it just takes the wind out of his sails. He just feels beat up. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually teach you today how to read the Bible for yourself as I, I give this last talk. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the text, and I want you 
as we read it, to ask the Holy Spirit to impress upon your heart a word, a phrase. Uh, I want you to think about maybe as I read it, where does God turn up the volume? Let that be your prayer as we read this text this morning. It comes from Mark chapter 4. There it is. It's on the screen. I'm going to read it for us. Uh, and then I want you to listen. Be in a listening mode. And here's the questions you're asking yourself. What does this passage reveal or teach me about God, about Jesus? I want you to be think of yourself as mining for gold right now. you got to dig a little bit. you got to kind of you know, press and just soak in it, be in it, right? What does this passage teach you or tell you or reveal to you about Jesus? That's question number one. Question number two, and you can apply this to most gospel passages. What does this passage teach you about the people, normal people, the disciples in this, in this case, and maybe about you. Where might you connect with some of the feelings that the disciples are feeling? Or the actions, or the mistakes, or the fears, or the whatever it is. Where does your life intersect? But before you can get there, you got to actually ask yourself, what does it tell me about God and Jesus? So let me read it for us. And, and, and just prayerfully listen. So that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, or in the English, in the ESV, it says, Peace, be still, peace, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. They asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I want you to take just a moment to write down. If you've got a pen, a pencil. What does this passage teach you about Jesus? Just what do you see in this text? I want you to learn how to feed yourself. It's not that hard. You can do this. There's several things in this passage that teach us about Jesus. I like to underline. I like to circle. I like to write in my Bible. I might put Mount Hermon 2017 men's retreat right next to this passage as a, as a marker. Like, whoa, this, was, this is when I learned to begin to study Scripture. This is when I learned about storms in my life. Or, But what is it that, you know, so as you're thinking about that, let me give you some background. The Sea of Galilee, this is where they are. This location was notorious for unexpected storms, for violent storms. And this is a picture, obviously, the most obvious picture uh, or connection is this is a picture of Jesus and his power over nature, right? That's kind of the most obvious 
thing you would notice when you read this story and say, wow, Jesus has power over nature. He calmed a storm. He stilled a storm. Um, but it's also a story of chaos, isn't it? As you think about the disciples and you read, just feel what they're feeling. They're panicked. They're overwhelmed. They're, they're scrambling. Uh, they're traumatized. They're stressed out. They're filled with anxiety. And these were experienced fishermen. This wasn't their first time on the Sea of Galilee. These are guys that have been out there. This is what they do with their life. They're out there every day all the time. So this was one heck of a storm, right? Because for them to be responding the way they're responding, this is one heck of a storm. I want you to, as you're still thinking about, what does this tell me about Jesus? What does this tell me about myself? I want you to, let me remind us that um, storms are inevitable, right? I mean, even in, just in our world, we, it's not, there's not going to be any more storms. We're going to, probably next week, a storm's going to hit, a hurricane's going to come, something's going to happen, right? They come, and they come in your life too. So now we begin to make kind of an application like it's not maybe a physical storm of, of flooding in your life, but use that as a metaphor in your life. We have storms in our life, don't we? Where we feel like, what were the disciples feeling? Did you hear the word swamped, overwhelmed, that kind of thing? You, know? you ever feel that way? In fact, let me see up there. It says, a fear, verse 37, furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. You ever felt that in your life, like life is breaking over you, like you're drowning? You ever feel just overwhelmed and swamped? Then look at verse 38. Jesus was in the stern. What was he doing? Sleeping. You ever faced a storm in your life and been praying and crying out and it feels like Jesus is asleep? Where are you? What are you doing, God? Why are you allowing me to go through this? Why is this happening? And then, don't you care? Underline that in your Bible. You ever felt that? I felt that. When my wife and I couldn't get pregnant, don't you care? Don't you care? Don't you care? You can make this happen. Don't you care? You could help us get free. Don't you care? And so now we're beginning to feed ourselves. We're connecting with the text. We're connecting with the story. We're finding ourselves in the story. Let me, uh, let me make this connection. The disciples' perspective was, if Jesus really loved them, he wouldn't let them go through this storm, right? And I wonder if maybe you feel that way sometimes. You know, if God really loved me, he wouldn't allow, and you fill in the blank, my business to be crashing, my best friend to betray me, my wife to desert me, my kids to turn their back. God, if you really loved me, you wouldn't let me, right? And that, isn't that kind of, don't you care? If we drown, maybe you're here this morning going, I feel like I'm drowning. And maybe you're going, I just don't feel like God cares about me. I feel like God doesn't see me. I feel like God doesn't know me. 
Are you beginning to see how we can connect our life with Scripture? And then where is Jesus in all this? So we, we begin to now, verse 39. He got up, and just notice, he doesn't call on a higher power. He says and speaks directly to the storm. He rebuked the wind. He said to the waves, quiet or peace, be still. And what happened? It calmed down. He has the authority, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has the power. He wasn't calling on God because he is God. And he has power over nature. So I want to. I love this uh, this quote by Tim Keller. I don't have it on the screen, but Tim Keller says, "If Jesus is God, if Jesus is God, then He has to be great enough to have some reasons to let you go through some things that you can't understand. If Jesus is God, then He has to be great enough to have some reasons to let you go through some things that you can't." understand. And you know this, but God never promises that if you follow him, nothing bad will ever happen to you. God never promises smooth sailing, blue skies every day. That's not in scripture. You're not reading your Bible if that's what you think. All the characters of scripture went through something, right? So my question is, how do I still the storm in my heart? How do I still the storm in my heart? And I was studying this passage two weeks ago in my men's group, a Thursday lunch group. We were studying this, and I asked it just like this. I asked the question, so what do you do in the, if you're facing a storm? What is your takeaway? What's your application? And this older gentleman just said, boy, what I see is i got to find Jesus in the storm. Find Jesus in the storm. Find Jesus in the storm. Find Jesus in your storm. Whatever's stressing you out, whatever has you feeling overwhelmed this morning. And so now we begin to think about what are the kind of storms that happen in our lives that swamp us, that cause us to feel overwhelmed? You see the connection I'm making there? Maybe it's a health storm. Maybe there's somebody in here that you found out this last week or last month or last year that uh, you aren't able to do the things you used to do. Maybe it's an injury. Maybe it's uh, cancer. Maybe it's, I mean, we had a woman uh, just this last week got uh, diagnosed with ALS. I mean, you talk about a storm, right? Maybe it's a personal storm. You got found out. You got caught doing something you shouldn't have been doing. And you're like, whoa, at work. Or your wife, or you know what I mean? And you're like, I'm, I'm in crisis right now. I got found out. I got tossed out. I got cut out. Maybe it's a business storm. You're in a deal with a bad guy. You have a, a friend who you went into in, in a partnership with, and, and he's ripping you off. That's going on in my church right now. I got two friends of mine, and they both feel like the other guy's ripping them off, and they're both strong Christians. And they want me to be the mediator, and I'm like, uh, I'm not so sure I want to get in, because they both feel like they're so right, and it's a storm. These guys were best friends. Could be a financial storm. Could be a relational storm. 
Could be your kids. They don't have any friends. Or they got bad friends. So do you see, you begin to connect. Let me ask you, though, for you this morning. I wonder if there's some guys that are here. I'm, I know there are. That you're, there's a storm that you're in the middle of right now. That you are here, but you're feeling overwhelmed. You're going to get in the car and drive home. And you're going, I actually want to stay at camp. I'm not eager to go home. Because I'm in the middle of a storm. Find Jesus in your storm. When I look at this passage, it's interesting, the juxtaposition between the disciples and Jesus. The disciples are freaking out, overwhelmed, stress, and Jesus is sleeping. What does that tell us? Jesus was fully human and fully God. He was fully human, though. How was he able to sleep? How was he able to be at peace? To have this deep sense of shalom, calm, even though everything out there is chaotic, in here it's okay. Isn't that what you want? Peace in the midst of? In some ways what Jesus is doing is modeling that for us here. I know that I'm in a storm when I can't sleep at night. That's one of the, 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 the litmus tests for me. When I wake up and I, I'm, I'm stressed, when I feel anxious, when I'm a fearful. Um, and you know what I do? This might sound weird to you, but this is actually what I do. I whisper his name. All the time. But when I wake up in the middle of the night, I just, I whisper his name. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, I give you this relationship. Jesus, I give you this stress. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And I just whisper his name. And it's amazing how peace comes over me. Because I'm not in control. I can't control what happens out there. But it's about my response to what's happening out there, where the peace of Christ There's a couple other applications to this passage. There's the storm and the disciples in the boat with Jesus, and he's asleep, and the, the, those feelings of, do you care? But did you notice verse 36? Why would Mark say, there were also other boats with him? Did, you, did anybody notice that? It's like, that's an interesting... Why would he include that? I, I don't know why, but here's... here's Here's an application to think about. Maybe you aren't in a storm yourself, but maybe your connection, your relationship with a person is pulling you into the storm because you're connected to whatever's happening at work. Now you're in the storm. Does that make sense? We call that codependency, by the way. Um, but that, those people in the other boat, because they were connected to the disciples' boat, they got pulled into a storm. You might be going, hey, my life's okay, but you know what? The person I'm married to is pulling me into a storm. My roommate's pulling me into a storm. My work, my colleagues pulling me into a storm. And that affects you. That impacts you. You might be saying, I can't get away from it. So now you actually are in the storm too, right? What's the response when you're in a storm or you're connected to a person who's in a storm? You have two choices, really. You can continue to you know, be stressed out 
and feel chaotic and your life's filled with drama and you feel overwhelmed, that's one choice. Continue to live in that mode or find Jesus in your storm. Cry out like the disciples did. Turn to him. Get on your knees and let him change your perspective. Let him bring peace. There's one more application. This is where it gets, get, it gets quiet in the room. What if you're not in the storm, you're not connected to the storm? What if you are the storm? Wondering maybe there's probably a good chance that there's a few of us in this room whose families don't want us to come home this afternoon. Our rage, our anger, they walk on eggshells around you. They live in fear of you. They're intimidated by you. You're a bully at home behind closed doors. You're the storm at work. You're the boss. I don't know if you've been reading the news about Harvey Weinstein. That guy's a storm. I mean, they're saying that guy was such an intimidating person to be around, and he used his power with over women, you know, manipulating them. He was a storm. Everywhere he went, men felt like, you know, everybody had to appease him if you wanted to work in Hollywood. And now his life's blowing up, if you've read anything about it. But maybe that's you. And so then what's your choice? What's your response? Two choices. Two choices this morning. Same two choices. You can either continue to live in, in that mode, or you can find Jesus in your storm. You can own that. There's mercy, there's grace here today. We're going to come to the table here in just a moment today. And rather than beat yourself up for being that storm, you can turn the page today. You can go home today a new man. That's what the good news of the gospel is. You don't have to be the storm in your family or your workplace or your church. I don't know you guys, but I just know the boat I got off of. And this, this one guy says, my vice chairman is making my life hell. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're making your pastor's life hell. And it's not really about him, it's about you. Maybe today you get to turn the page. Maybe today you get to reach out to him and say, will you forgive me for being a whatever? Right? Here's the good news of the gospel. This passage connects with everybody in this room. Everybody. I don't know that but I know that. So I want you to raise your hand. If you're in a storm, if you're connected to a storm, or if you would say, I am the storm. If, if this connects with you in any way, just raise your hand. And I want you to look around. And I want you to look around. That's, that's us. This is where we live. So I'm going to do what we did last night. I want you to put your hand on your brother next to you or in front of you, whatever you want to do next to you. And I want us to proclaim, you know, we say this, but we don't always. We are, if we're the hands and feet and voice of Jesus, can we this morning proclaim peace? Can we proclaim peace 
to the storm. Be still. Peace be still. Can we just whisper that? Just quietly where you are, just pray for your brother that's next to you, in front of you, uh, that you're touching. And just proclaim the peace, the shalom, whatever storm they're in, or if they are the storm, just take a moment and let's pray for each other. Just could be quietly, it could be out loud. The Koreans, man, they all pray at the same time. If you, want, if, if you want to do that, we can do that as well. But let's just take a minute here as we close, and then I'm going to bring you to the table. This is a chance for us now to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's the dream of Jesus, his kingdom here now. You know, we spend so much time trying to get people to heaven. How about getting heaven into people right now? And so let's just do that right here, right now. Let's proclaim the peace, be still. Peace, be still. Lord, we believe right now that you have the power to still the storm, to calm the storm. And so now we proclaim your peace over the person, the guy on our right, on our left, the guy in front of us, the guy behind us. You know that storm that they're connected to, that they're facing, or that they are imposing on others and bringing to their family, to their workplace, to their churches. And now in the name of Jesus Christ, we proclaim peace. Peace be still. In Jesus' name. Amen. So you learn how to read the Bible this morning a little bit. No more telling your pastor you're not being fed. Huh? Otherwise, it's a self-indictment. You're just saying, I'm a baby still. Just remember that. When you say that, you're saying, I'm still a baby. What we want are grown men who are feeding themselves and learning to feed others. That's when the church is maturing. And that's the greatest gift to your pastors, by the way. When you're saying, give me some men, man. I'm ready to, I'm ready to become that self-initiating, reproducing, wholehearted follower of Jesus. So we have here the, the bread and the cup, and you know uh, the story. I'll, uh, I'll bring this over here for us. Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ broken for you. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, the new covenant, the new agreement for the forgiveness of sins. God is now accessible and approachable because of the work of Jesus Christ on that cross, his sacrifice for you. He said, you know, take the bread and the cup and eat it and drink it in remembrance of me. Do you know who he said that to? Do you know who was at that table that night? I want you just to think about that for a moment. Judas was at that table. He had just, before this moment, made an agreement to betray him. 
And Jesus knew that. And he still served him the bread and the cup. Think about how radical that is. That's scandalous grace. Peter was at that table who would just after this go out and deny him three times. I don't even know the man. He disowned him. Jesus gave him the bread and the cup knowing that Peter sitting right there making all these promises, would leave camp and disown him. But Jesus offered him scandalous grace. You know who else was at that table? Thomas, who had just a few days later, after the resurrection, doubting Thomas. I don't know if I'm buying this stuff, Jesus. i got to see your hands and your feet. I don't know completely. I don't have it all figured out. Jesus still served Thomas, even though his faith wasn't perfect. I think sometimes as men, we think, oh man, I got to get perfect. I got I to have all my questions answered. I gotta, I'm not worthy to come to the table because of what I, what, you know, my sin. My, no, that's what makes you qualified to come to the table. If you're a doubter, if, you're gonna, if you've disowned him, if you've betrayed him, not only have you, I can guarantee you, Many of us in this room are going to doubt him and betray him and disown him in the future. And Jesus doesn't disown us. That's the good news of the gospel. Philip Yancey says, if grace isn't scandalous, if you're not in some way offended by the way Jesus treats people, you don't, get, you don't understand grace. We, we wouldn't serve communion in the church to Judas, would we? We'd be like, dude, after what you did yesterday, there's no way, man. You go get right, and when you come back, that's, that's kind of how we think, we, you know, right? Or Peter, you've got to get your act together. Then, then, then you come to the table. That's not how Jesus operates. You don't read that in the Gospels. This is so revolutionary, this love. Is unfailing grace. He doesn't say, get your act together and then come to me. He says, come to me and watch what happens to your act. And that's the difference. So we're going to invite you to come to the table when you're ready. And uh, take one of the, take a piece of the bread, the cracker, and eat it. And then take a cup. And, uh, you know, if you want to linger for a little bit, you can. Or go back to your seat. But let's just use this as a time to connect deeply with God, to receive forgiveness of sins, and then to see it as, I'm turning the page. I'm going to go home a new man. God's doing a new thing in my life. And when I walk in that door with my roommates, when I walk in that door with my family, I'm going to be an initiator of the grace that I have received. So when you're ready to come, you're invited to come and partake.
And this morning we're we're partaking of this individually, so you don't need to wait for me to lead us in doing it together. Sometimes in churches we do it all together as an act of unity. This morning we're we're doing it individually. Just as you're when you're ready, your time. Take eat and drink in remembrance of him. <laughs> so hopeful this morning. I really do. God's word just nourished my heart. I've read that passage so many times, but it just, I was preaching to myself this morning, man. That was, that was life-giving to me. That as I head home, ah, boy, I'm just so hopeful that God is going to cover my heart with peace, that stuff that maybe feels chaotic or creates a little panic for me or stresses me out. I got some fears. Uh, just to let go of that, surrender that, you know. But that self-awareness stuff's real, you guys, about, I had to ask myself even, am I a storm? Am I the storm with my staff? Am I the storm with my wife, my daughter? Am I the storm with my extended family? Am I the storm, you know, I don't want to be the storm. I don't want to be the intimidating bully that everybody's walking on eggshells around. That's not the spirit of Jesus. And I just know in a room like this, some of you, that's you this morning. And you're going to go home and you're going to turn the page. That's why God brought you here this weekend. And your wife or your roommates, your kids are going to go, my dad, my buddy, he's different. He's different. He's a new man. He's a new man. So let's lean into, as we leave here today, who we are in Christ. He says you are a son who is deeply, deeply loved. And let's live in that. So let's go home and love well. Let's be initiators of grace. And let's live generously with those that we live with and work with and the communities where we worship and serve. Let's give our best, but let's offer a lot of grace. It's refreshing to be around men like that. It's a bummer being a leader in the church when you got guys grinding you, you know? It's no fun. Don't be that guy when you go home. You go be your pastor's biggest fan. Become president of his or her fan club, you know? God will use that because we, we become not who people criticize us to become. We become who people encourage us to become. So let's become those kind of men that strengthen others, that encourage others, and that comfort others. That's the prophetic gift you read about in 1 Corinthians. When we strengthen and comfort and encourage, that's a prophetic gift. So let's go be men that strengthen and encourage and comfort others as we leave. Let me close us in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you, 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 thank you for amazing love, for unfailing love. Thank you that you never give up on us. Thank you for that love that's so wide and high and deep, that love that never runs out on us. You are patient and you are persistent, and we say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.